Well, this morning we are blessed to have Wes Tillett preaching. Uh, Wes and his wife Rita, Rita's not here, sorry that's Jane, hi Jane. Uh, Wes and his wife Rita who was sitting there first service and their four kids, Avi and Kades and Toby and, sorry who have I forgotten? Noah. Noah, thank you, have been an active part of the Covenant family for uh, the past couple of years, and I know a number of you have been blessed to get to know them in the time they've been here and have jumped into the family, and uh, you will agree with me that there is a real depth uh, and substance to this man's mind and his soul. I need to be honest. I asked Wes to preach on what I think might be the hardest or one of the hardest passages in the entire New Testament to preach on. Thank you so much, David. Not only is, it, is the subject matter challenging, but the passage itself is so direct and hard-hitting. The reason that I asked Wes to preach this passage this morning is because of his unique background. Wes has served as a pastor in the past. He knows what it's like to shepherd a church into the word and into the life that God calls us to, particularly in a suburban Midwest context. But he also now serves as the director of Lafayette Urban Ministries here uh, in our community. And I think that gives him a unique authority with which to explore the themes in this passage. And I don't think it's a spoiler to tell you that I have already heard this message and it is awesome. You will, we will be blessed by the gift of it. So join me now in anticipation of our opening of the word. Join me now in our shared reading. Read this out loud with me, if you would. We are the beloved of the Lord. In love, he created us. In love, he came to us. In love, he died for us. In love, he makes us his own, folding us into his love, transforming us by his love, sending us out in his love. By our love, this world will know that we are his. By our love, this world will see him in us as he lives his life of love in us and through us to the glory of God. Amen. Wes. I feel both honored and intimidated to be up here. Uh, I am grateful for the opportunity to stand and try to Share from God's awesome word. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we pick up where we left off last week, asking you for wisdom. We are singing this morning, be thou our wisdom. You promise to give wisdom generously to all. So please send us your spirit of wisdom. Free us right now, in this moment, from all our distractions and anxieties and allow us to hear you. Give us the grace to embrace and put into action what you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. In eighth grade, I had three of my most embarrassing moments of my life being on the receiving end of some bird droppings on my shoulder while I sat at the changing of the guard of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. That was pretty bad. Getting cut from the eighth grade basketball team was worse.
but giving a speech in front of my social studies class with a certain area of my jeans unzipped, <laughs> that was by far the worst. And when class was over, word just spread like wildfire throughout the school, and there was nothing I could do to stop it. I remember the look of triumph in my ex-girlfriend's eyes as she boarded the bus that afternoon and made eye contact with me. <laughs> I survived that embarrassing experience, obviously, but I wish I would have had one truth-telling friend who would have been there to catch me on my way up to the front of the class and tell me I needed to make some adjustments before I made a complete fool of myself. Just one friend could have saved me from that humiliation. No such luck. This morning, the Holy Spirit, through the words of James, plays the role of a truth-telling friend to us. He's catching us on our way up before the throne of God while still in this life, while we still have time to make adjustments. And he points out some uncomfortable reality to us. In our culture, clothing gaths are awkward and embarrassing. They're uncomfortable to point out to someone and certainly uncomfortable to have pointed out to us. And that same kind of squeamish awkwardness is felt whenever the topic comes up that James addresses in the two Bible passages we explore this morning. What's the topic? Money. What James says here about money will likely cause us some short-term pain and humiliation. But if we're wise enough to listen, what he is saying to us will bring us long-term joy and even exaltation. Exaltation? Yes. Being raised up, honored, respected, admired. God is trying to steer us away from humiliation and towards long-term exaltation. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a good deal to me. So what does God have to tell us today through James? 1 James 1, 9-11. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Strong words. The second passage is quite a bit fierier. James 5. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. And have a nice day. <laughs> Remember, James is our friend. 
telling us the truth out of love for us. James is standing in line with a lot of other fiery ancient prophets and sages and even our Lord Jesus himself who were not afraid to speak the truth. But all that God says to us is said in love. James 1, 9-11 teaches us the true position of the rich. James 5, 1-6 teaches us the true purpose of riches. First, the true position of the rich. Isn't this how the world sees the rich? You've got the rich, you've got the poor, everything in between, but all of the attention is focused on the rich. The paparazzi of the world aren't following the poor, they're following the rich and the famous. The world caters to the rich, chases after the rich, seeks to be rich. All the pressure all of us feels is to make more, have more, get more, be more. In our world, the rich seem blessed, the poor seem cursed. Then Jesus bursts on the, on the scene and turns things upside down. In Jesus' kingdom, God doesn't play favorites. All people are equally loved. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Which means the rich and the proud are brought down. And the poor and the humbled are lifted up. As all are loved equally. The rich have a lower position than before. The poor have a higher position than before. As James says, believers in humble circumstances take pride in your high position, but the rich take pride in your humiliation. Additionally, as we'll see in James 5, the rich are in a lower position in that they are to put their riches at the service of those who have nothing. Rather than the rich snapping their fingers and say, hey, you poor, come bring me a drink, the rich are called to snap a towel around their waist as their master did and be in a posture of, how can I serve? In order for this upside-down kingdom to make sense, we need to understand something about God. God despises pride and adores humility. Pride. I mean pride in a toxic sense, not like, oh, I'm, I'm proud of you, that you know, feeling of satisfaction and joy and some pride and like, I don't need anybody. That independence from God is very bad. Humility, a dependence on God is very good. And that gorgeous song we just sang, I depend on you, I depend on you. That is that beautiful posture of humility. Jesus laid down an immutable law of the universe. It's more certain and lasting than the law of gravity. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. James spells this out in chapter 4, verse 6, when he quotes Proverbs 3.34. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. Pride is this horrible stench in God's nose. God gives grace to the humble. That's why St. Augustine wrote, the four cardinal virtues are humility, 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 and humility. James in chapter 3, verse 13. Humility comes from wisdom. If we are wise, we will be humble. We will depend on God. Jesus was the wisest person ever, right? He's also the humblest 
person ever, emptying himself of all, of he, all that he had in heaven, all of those riches, becoming incarnate, and then taking the nature of a servant, even to the point of death. But then resurrection and ascension. Humbled himself, was exalted. Humiliation, then exaltation. Humility is beautiful and it keeps us close to God. Pride is ugly as it separates us from God. And the warning that we hear from James is if we're not careful, riches, that is worldly wealth, can set us up to be proud. Is having wealth automatically bad? No. But we'd be wise to listen to Jesus and what he teaches about money. And our Lord said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You cannot serve both God and money. Blessed are the poor. Use worldly wealth to gain heavenly friends. Jesus also warned that wealth has a deceitfulness to it that chokes a life and makes that life unfruitful. What is the deceitfulness of wealth? Wealth can lead us to believe we don't have to trust God since we can trust in our money. Wealth can cause us to think we don't really need God since we've got all we already need. Worldly wealth can lead us to pride. Wealth doesn't always automatically do this, of course. But Jesus warns, James warns, wealth does have a tendency to make us feel self-sufficient instead of God-dependent tips us towards pride instead of humility. James, our true friend, speaks the truth. He speaks the truth to the rich and to the poor. First to the poor. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Every day in my work at Lafayette Urban Ministry, I see people living in the humiliation of homelessness, financial crisis, uncertain immigration status, food insecurity, and all the rest. And God says here to people in circumstances like that, I see you. You don't have to have a certain number of likes or followers to have my attention. I see you. I love you. You don't have to have a certain amount of money in your bank account to be a part of my family. You're in. I love you. As we'll learn when we get to James chapter 2 in a couple of weeks, God doesn't play favorites. God loves everyone equally regardless of their financial status. I'm sure there's many people listening today who don't come from money, don't have much money. Often makes us feel insecure, invisible, less than. Maybe there's people listening online who feel like they couldn't possibly fit in to a place like Covenant Church. I just want to say to you, God sees you. God welcomes you. Jesus describes himself as gentle and humble and heart. That word humble literally means close to the ground, lowly. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle, I'm humble of heart. 
Jesus always meets us right where we are. Jesus has always been good news to the poor. To the rich, James says, the rich should take pride in their humiliation for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. The rich can't take their riches with them. They're like a flower that's fading. Believe it or not, I had thick shoulder-length hair when I asked my wife to marry me. <laughs> the riches fade. The riches fade. That number one ranking is so frustratingly fragile, is it not? Oh. Worldly riches are so temporary. And James, our, our truth-telling friend, is trying to warn us. There's a made-up story about a man who died and went to heaven. And the angel's showing him around. And finally, they come to the man's new home, which is just this little shack. The man is furious and demands to know why he doesn't get a mansion of gold like he expected. The angel calmly replies, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We could only build with the materials you sent us. The true position of the rich is this, humbled. The true purpose of riches is this, just service. In James 5, 1 through 6, James tears into the rich regarding their injustice and selfishness. You just look at the actions he condemns. You have hoarded wealth. You failed to pay You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered. And I hear words like this, and I immediately try to defend myself. Wait a minute here. This is 21st century America. Our economy is not the same as 1st century Near East Roman Empire economies. This doesn't really apply to me. Or I, I say, look, I'm not rich. I'm not a billionaire. I'm not even a millionaire. I don't have fields, much less employ somebody to mow them. Like, come on, this doesn't apply to me. Well, not so fast. What James says here applies to all economies of all times everywhere. And like it or not, I have to admit, I'm rich. I mean that in the most uncomfortable, awkward way. I mean, I have financial resources. Only one out of six people in the world own a car. Mm, I own a car. In fact, I own more than one car. Half the world's population, that's more than four billion people, make less than $4,000 a year. I make a little more than $4,000 a year. When I stop comparing myself to the billionaires and look back at the billions who would love to be in my shoes, I have to admit, I'm rich. Just by, be, just by virtue of me being a middle-class American, I am wealthier than four out of five people on the planet. So I need to hear James' words addressed, not to someone else, but to me. And God is speaking through James 5, 1 through 6, saying to me, 
people are not a tool for getting money. Money is a tool for serving people. People are not a tool for getting money. Money is a tool for serving people. Pride makes us treat people like a means to our ends. Pride causes us to use people to acquire wealth. Whereas humility, that is true faith in Jesus Christ, causes us to use money to bless people. It's people, not money, who are the real eternal treasures. Pride leads us to injustice. Humility leads us to justice. God calls us to handle money justly. Is there any chance that some of my wealth has been built on injustice? I'm not saying all wealth is ill-gotten gain. But have I ever gained wealth by being unfair or greedy? Have I ever prioritized my luxury and self-indulgence over the needs of people in this world who have absolutely nothing? I know I have. And I need to ask God's forgiveness, and I need to adjust my life in light of James' words here before I go to meet my Maker. So what would it look like to understand the purpose of true riches as being one of of justice and service, I think it would be just the opposite of James 5, 1 through 6. I would share my wealth. I would pay a fair wage. I would live on earth with a self-imposed limit on my lifestyle so that I can have something to give to those who truly need it. I would invest my resources into protecting the innocent and defenseless ones. I would leverage my wealth for justice and service. As the saying goes, I would give a person a fish and help them eat for a day. I wouldn't just eat all the fish for me. Even more, I would help that person learn to fish. They could eat for a lifetime. Even more, I'd make sure that person has access to the fishing pond. Even more, I'd make sure those fish are safe to eat. The true position of the rich, humbled. The true position of riches, just service. The Holy Spirit, our true friend, is trying to get our attention to help us adjust our perspectives and our actions before we go to meet our Heavenly Father. One final story to illustrate how God is working all this into my life. I woke up at 5.15 a.m. on December 23rd, and I could hear the wind just blasting away outside. Remember that? Unbelievable wind and cold. It was like minus 38 I was lying there in my warm bed, in my warm house, and it suddenly occurred to me that in about one hour, there are going to be 60 people headed out into that brutal weather. And those 60 people were staying at the Lafayette Urban Ministry Emergency Shelter and our winter warming station. And most of them, I knew, were going to try to trek eight blocks through that weather up to Lafayette Transitional Housing to the day shelter. Eight blocks in that cold, in that howling wind. I could barely stand to be out there for eight seconds. I don't know why this didn't occur to me before. I, when the temperature gets that dangerously low, Lafayette Urban Ministry will often use our shuttle buses to transport people back and forth between Lafayette Transitional Housing 
the day shelter, and Lum, the night shelter. That way people aren't exposed to the elements. In fact, we had provided that service the night before, December 22nd. But no one had signed up to drive the shuttle bus on December 23rd, and so I guess our guests are out of luck. Only now, at 5 in the morning, does it occur to me, hey, Wes, you can and should go drive that bus. So I grabbed my winter gear and I headed out, thankful that once again the weather people had grossly overestimated the snow accumulation. <laughs> and I arrived at Lum on time and told the guests I would be providing a shuttle. And I could, several of them said thank you, you could just see the relief and gratitude in their eyes. So I, I went, got the bus scraped off, warmed up, ready to roll. As the guests came out, I couldn't believe how underdressed they were for the elements. Many of them had no winter coats, just a, a sweatshirt or a light jacket. A few of them had no gloves at all. There were two people that were walking behind their little walkers. Can you imagine how long it would take you to walk eight blocks like this through snow and ice and into the wind? I honestly don't know if they would have survived that walk in that cold. So I thanked God for waking me up and sending me in. I thanked God for forgiving me that I hadn't even thought about my neighbors, my guests, my sisters, my brothers, and their dire needs in that moment. It took me four trips to transport all the guests to the day shelter, and as I dropped off the last load of people, I thanked God for that day shelter and the people who worked there. I knew they were saving lives, saving lives. And I thank God for the people who worked at Lafayette Urban Ministry and had provided overnight shelter truly saving lives right here in Sipicanoo County. And I thanked God for people in this community who had financially supported LUM so that we could have a shelter and a winter warming station and shuttle buses and food to share with people. This really isn't a story of me being a hero. It's a story of me being an idiot. And only at the last moment, by the grace of God, realizing I am rich, I have resources. I have connections. I have abilities. I have access. And all of this, all of it is a gift from God and is meant to be purposefully, joyfully, lovingly placed at the service of those whom Jesus calls the least of these. In the kingdom of God, the position of the rich is humbled and the purpose of riches is to justly serve others. I'm grateful that many of you here get that. I'm thankful that Covenant Church was a founding member of Lafayette Urban Ministry back in 1972, helping us to meet the needs, the social and spiritual needs of people in our community. I'm grateful that Covenant Church has re-engaged LUM and is actively sending volunteers and financial resources to support the mission of tackling basic human needs and uplifting the people of Greater Lafayette. So thank you, Covenant Church, for your partnership in this effort to honor human dignity. Now this morning, I'm not just speaking as the executive director of LUM. My wife and my kids are part of this Covenant Church family, and we are sincerely grateful for the way people have welcomed us, befriended us, invested in us, worked together with us as we try to live a life of love since we've been here these last couple years. So on a very personal level, thank you, Covenant Church, for your generosity towards me 
my wife and my children. Thank you for loving us well. As together we continue to learn what it means to have faith with hands and feet. May we seek God to reveal any pride built up in us. And may we adjust, knowing that humility is beautiful in God's eyes. May we receive the grace to be humble like our Lord Jesus, the one who's gentle and humble of heart. And may God continue to fuel all of us with his wisdom and his perfect love. Please join me in prayer. God, I truly thank you for this Covenant Church family of faith. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for these holy scriptures, challenging as they are to hear. Thank you for being a friend who tells us the truth, trying to get us to adjust. God, your goodness is always running after us, and our response is to surrender. Please empower us to live wisely with you at the center of the picture. Please continue to give us all the wisdom we need, all the wisdom we need to live a life of generous faith, courageous hope, and humble love. In Jesus' name.